if you have an opportunity to wrap up your fellowship in the Lord, we will continue to worship Him in the Word. Um, we are closing out Colossians for today, and therefore also closing out the book of Colossians. Um, what a great time it has been understanding not only who He is and what He's done, but also what He calls us to do. And so this morning, we're going to focus on story, your story the Lord's story. And so as I was preparing, I was thinking about where do you find stories, and so I went over to Fox News and CNN, a dangerous place to go, just to get an idea of what stories are out there. And there was a bunch of things that I found that were intriguing. Uh, so yesterday, one thing that stood out was that Brett Michaels celebrated his younger daughter's high school graduation. Now, for most people, you have no idea what that's about, but for those who are Poison fans, that's a big deal. Um, but that really doesn't relate to this morning's message, so I decided to head over to the finance and economy section. And here's some things that stood out. These are the headlines. How changing daylight savings time upends the economy. I think it upends more than the economy. Biden official praises China, says the U.S. could learn from the communist nation. U.S. job growth surges again in February as economy adds 311,000 new positions. Now, it's different because CNN said that it was outpacing their expectations. Retirement account balances are down from a year ago, but they're rebounding. Retirees lost 10% of their savings in 2022. 35% of millionaires, 35% of millionaires say retiring securely will take a miracle. It's an interesting statement. Here's one. Most Americans don't know their life expectancy. And that's a problem in retirement planning. I mean, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, guys. Home Depot co-founder slams woke Silicon Valley bank collapse, warns Americans. Bill pointed out that there were three bank collapses recently. And according to CNN's Fear and Greed Index, extreme fear is driving the U.S. market. These types of news stories can often preoccupy folks' minds. In today's culture, between Fox, CNN, other news agencies, uncertainty and fear reign. The fact that CNN has a fear and greed index... But friends, that's not the way it was meant to be. 
as we open up the fourth chapter of Colossians, as Paul concludes his letter, Paul is going to provide a very different perspective because it's not fear and greed that reign, but our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not fear and greed that drive our actions or drive the market, but the saving work of Jesus Christ. See, Paul is interrupting where our minds naturally desire to go to point us to a far more important and foundational truth. Where we invest, what we consider investing in, should not be earthly things where moth and rust destroy. Instead, we are to be wholeheartedly committed around investing into people. It models Jesus' earthly ministry where He poured Himself out for people. And as followers of Jesus, our focus should be different from the rest of the world. Our investment strategy, our money, our time, our energy is to have an eternal perspective. Friends, we're not building or investing into a retirement account or a company. It can disappear quickly as those news agencies reported. We should be investing to build a kingdom. And not a kingdom for ourselves, but a kingdom designed by God. According to Paul, our investment strategy should be about mobilizing to rescue lost people. The dividends that we pursue are not based upon the APY, but focused on eternal returns. For those who don't know what the APY is, it's the annual percentage yield. It's what you supposedly get from a bank by putting money in there. These days, it's not a whole lot. And this morning, as we conclude our journey through Colossians, we're going to explore the most, potentially the most practical and applicable parts of this passage. Paul's outlining a model for success in the Christian life. And so as I was thinking about this, I said, you know what, how might Eric Jett talk about this? And so this is for Eric. Purposefully investing into people produces prolific eternal profits. One more time just for you. Purposefully investing into people produces prolific eternal profits. See, verse 8 serves as the hinge pin for this entire passage. Look at chapter 4, verse 8. Paul provides a purpose for sending Tychicus to the Colossian church. He says that he may encourage your hearts. After all the things that Paul has shared with this particular church, with this body of believers, his underlying purpose is to encourage the hearts of the followers of Jesus. And that's my intent this morning as well. That this morning may simply be an encouragement to you wherever you find yourself. So follow along as I read this closing passage. 
encourage you to listen in a way that you can try to hear Paul's heart. So, chapter 4, picking up in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that's taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea, in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Did it stand out that there's a whole bunch of names listed in a short period of time? Most of them are actually rather unfamiliar. And kind of like a news site where we skim past the things that seem irrelevant to us, as we read that final passage, we can easily skip past those names. But friends, these names matter. In fact, all names matter. It's because people matter. Every single individual has been created by God for a purpose. They've been imbued with eternal value. People matter most. Each of the people that we just heard Paul reference have a story. Behind their names are individual lives and unique experiences and the variety of relationships This is important to recognize because our lives also matter in God's economy. You personally are important to God. Oftentimes we forget that our story, the combination of the experiences and the challenges and the relationships that we have are actually what God intends to use as part of His kingdom advancement strategy. Many overlook it, 
not thinking about it. I think often we try to forget parts of our story. We think back and we say, the Lord, He can't use that. I know there's things in my past that I often would like to forget because I can't think it can be used. But what Paul's sharing this morning as we dig into these stories is that God's economy works differently than our earthly one. See, in an earthly economy, when you make an investment mistake, it normally requires a ton of time to overcome if you ever can overcome it. In God's economy, though, it's our life's mistakes that are often designed and leveraged for good later on. See, this morning, Paul outlines this kingdom advancement strategy that God desires us to participate in, not in spite of, but because of our individual stories. So first... Paul says we are to recruit others to join together as ministers in the Lord. He starts off this passage by saying, Tychicus will tell you. How many here know the Great Commission? Show of hands. Anybody? That's a good start. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and what? Y'all raised your hand. Really? Go therefore and what? Make disciples. See, though often associated with evangelistic efforts... Making disciples isn't simply inviting folks to respond to a gospel call. See, when Jesus invited the disciples to follow Him, He changed their hearts. And what resulted is that they followed Him by two things. Persistent service and personal surrender. The expectation that Christ's followers would serve is found in both Matthew and Mark's Gospels. When we share the Gospel, we're calling people to persistent service. Mark 10, 43 says, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. But it's more than just service, it's personal surrender. Listen how Matthew describes the desire, the need for us to surrender. Chapter 16. Jesus told His disciples, If any would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. 
What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to not what He invested in earthly things, but in what He has done with the gifts He's been given. See, when Jesus commands His disciples to go and make disciples, He's calling us to recruit others to join together as ministers in the Lord, not just share the gospel. Join together as a minister in the Lord to serve and surrender, because that's what we see here. Paul recruited Tychicus and Onesimus to serve as ministers in the Lord. But I wonder, why does he single out Tychicus and why does he single out Onesimus? Well, it's because behind each of them there's a story, a life, a set of experiences. And as you dig in, you notice that God either clearly or more often subtly provides details that understand their story, that are important for us. See, sometimes the details are evident. If you think of Moses or Joseph, you have a good idea about what their story is. Other times, the details are simply a word or a phrase surrounding the name or even sometimes the lack of description. I encourage you to pay attention to those details when you're reading God's Word because they make a huge difference. God designed each of the stories of Tychicus and Onesimus to be used, and He designed your story to be used for the advancement of His kingdom. So to help you understand why your story matters to God, I want to dig into these stories. So, who's Tychicus? Well, from Acts 20, we know that he was Paul's traveling buddy. He went on with Paul on his third missionary journey. He was there when Eutychus fell asleep in the window after listening to Paul teach. So, he's in the room. The account says that Paul prolonged his speech until midnight. I'm not doing that today. You're welcome. Eutychus fell, fell out of the window as he fell asleep and died. Now, imagine if somebody fell out the window and died, right? Not a daily, not a common occurrence. Paul stops what he's doing. He goes down, bends over him, holds him, restores life to him. And then he goes back upstairs and returned to teaching for a handful more hours. <laughs> I love that. He's like, wait, 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 we got a problem here. I got to take care of the problem. Okay, now we can get back to the regularly scheduled program. That's what Paul does. Tychicus witnessed Paul's persistent service and his personal surrender. 
In fact, Tychicus spent much time with Paul during his Roman imprisonment. And according to the passage here, he's close enough to him that he would actually be able to tell the Colossian church about what Paul had been doing. Paul refers to him as a beloved brother. To Paul, Tychicus is a spiritual sibling. And that means that he's letting the Colossian church know that they should see him as their spiritual sibling as well. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 2, it's to the faithful brothers in the Lord. Paul also said that Tychicus is a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Well, why does Paul feel that way about him? Well, Paul sent Tychicus to the church in Ephesus to pick up his things. He sent him to summon Timothy. Paul knew that he could trust Tychicus, and he's endorsing him to the church in Colossae that he could be trusted by them as well. And why was he sent to him? Was it simply to share the news of how things were going, to provide a field report like Anderson Cooper? No, he was sent to encourage them. It is helpful to hear what is going on in the lives of believers to be encouraged. It's one role that we have. Share what's going on in the life of those around you to encourage others. Well, what about Onesimus? Well, his story is more prominent than Tychicus. Still not on the scale of Moses and David. Onesimus had lived in Colossae before. But here's the thing. When he lived there, he wasn't a believer. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. He wasn't a business owner. In fact, he wasn't in good standing as a fellow citizen. He was a bond slave He was Philemon's servant who escaped. Onesimus illegally left Philemon. Paul's sending him, this illegal refugee guy, to the church to encourage them. He's sending somebody who illegally left the community back to the community as an encouragement. I love his name. It's a play on words. You may know that Onesimus means useful. But the one who is useless to Philemon, God makes useful. I love his name because that's what God does to each one of us. He makes us useful in the kingdom. Onesimus met Paul while Paul was imprisoned. And like many who encountered Paul, he learned about the love of God and God's saving grace, and he became a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I think about that, what comes to mind is, according to Scripture, 
prison ministry isn't just about believers going into prisons on a Sunday to share the gospel. Prison ministry originally was being imprisoned for the sake of Christ and sharing the gospel while serving time for the sake of Christ. It's not that what we consider prison ministry today is wrong. We just see it modeled differently in Scripture. But that is a different message for a different time. So Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon, not as a slave. How does he refer to him here? Our faithful and beloved brother. But the next four words matter most. Who's one of you? So this slave who escaped is one of you. It's the same phrase Paul used at the beginning of his book. It's used of Tychicus, a beloved brother. And so instead of describing him according to his previous status and his previous position and his previous error, Paul focuses on who he is, a redeemed man. Christ redefined Onesimus, and his new identity in Jesus provides the basis for his membership as one of them in their local community. Onesimus was sent to them as a minister of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both Tychicus and Onesimus were sent as messengers of the Lord. I had to think about what messengers do. See, they don't just drop off a letter like modern-day mail. They don't deliver a package like an Amazon delivery professional. I had to go back, and according to Dr. David Powell, who is one of my New Testament professors at Trinity, he's now their dean, messengers are a representative, an emissary of the one who sent the letter. They'd deliver the letter. They would read the letter. They'd help explain the letter on behalf of the person who sent it. Look at how Paul describes these messengers' role. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful brother, Faithful and beloved brother who's one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Friends, this would be like an Amazon delivery professional bringing you the package, opening it up for you, assembling it, ensuring that it was working, and then asking if you had any questions before they got back in their van. Messengers represent the one who sent them. Paul sent Tychicus and Onesimus because of their story. Friends, you are no longer defined by your past, but have been redefined by Jesus. 
Remember earlier in the letter, Paul uses the phrase, such were some of you. And he's referring to a whole list of things that you can find yourself in. And while there are parts of each of us that we may want to forget, God redeemed it in the moment you placed your faith and trust in Him. He intends to use it. He intends to use you in His plan of redemption. You've been selected as a messenger or an ambassador of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. You've been recruited by God to recruit others to join together as ministers in the Lord. What's it look like to recruit others to persistent service and personal surrender? Well, when Jennifer or David or Noah or somebody who's doing announcements walks up here on a Sunday morning, they kindly recruit you to service. For years, we've been saying children's ministry needs help. It's a recruitment to service. As you're going about your week, it's possible you engage with folks who claim to be Christ followers, but they're not actively serving. Now, unless they're providentially prevented from serving for a period of time or they're truly in need of a season of rest and restoration, all you have to do is encourage them to use the gifts that they've been given in service to the kingdom. See, when you look at this passage, Tychicus and Onesimus were not sent to share the gospel. They were sent to the church to do what? To encourage them, to say, hey, this is what's going on, I'd encourage you to Do what's going on there. Serve for the kingdom. It's because we aren't saved simply to consume or to be solely poured into by others. The Lord Jesus rescues us from the domain of darkness so that we would contribute to the kingdom, invest into the kingdom. But in addition to recruiting others to join together, Paul instructs us here that we're to inspire others in serving our Lord. As we continue in the passage, we're going to find six more names. The first three, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, are identified as Jews. Well, how do you know? Well, if you look at the passage, there's a little phrase. It says, of the circumcised. It means they're Jews. And then there's a second group, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Because there's no descriptor, it's commonly understood that they are Gentiles. See, I believe Paul deliberately and purposely chose this list, three and three, to be done in parallel, to show the importance of inspiring and supporting one another as servants of Christ, no matter who you are, what status you have, or what experience you've encountered. 
So who are these folks? What's their story? And why does it matter? First, Aristarchus. Everybody knows Aristarchus, right? (laughs) Well, he's a Jew from Thessalonica. You can go to Acts 19 and 20, who also traveled with Paul. He helped deliver the collection for the Jerusalem offering. So obviously, he could be trusted with finances and resources. You have Mark, who he describes here as the cousin of Barnabas, who was with Paul on his first missionary journey. That's in Acts 13. He served with Peter, 1 Peter 5, and would be personally requested to go to Paul at the end of his life to be an encouragement to Paul. Safe to say Mark is one of Paul's dearest friends. And so you have these two greats of the faith play side by side with justice, who isn't mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. Can't find it anywhere. There's no description here, just a name. I think he does it because Paul is reinforcing that people, no matter stature or position or experience, matter. Then you have the second list. We have Epaphras, who likely helped establish the church in Colossae. It says he's one of you. It says he's always struggling on your behalf. You see Luke, the beloved physician who accompanied Paul on a variety of missionary journeys. Luke wrote the book of Acts. He stood beside Paul in Paul's final trial. And then there's Demas, far less recognizable, and if you look at 2 Timothy 4, potentially abandoned the faith later. Again, Paul's reinforcing that role or position or status or experience don't create any greater value. Paul equates them in essence, in value. In Christ and in the local church, every believer is significant. In God's kingdom, every person plays an important role within His plan of redemption. Did you notice the diversity represented in this group? There's ethnic diversity. He includes Jews and Gentiles shows the gospel overcomes the greatest barrier for discrimination. Socially and economically, they're very different. There's an assumed affluence of Luke and Epaphras that doesn't elevate them above their partners in the gospel. And spiritually, they're different. Paul calls out the extraordinary diligence and the devotion of Epaphras but equates all of them as Christ's servants. What the world normally uses to segregate, the Lord uses to affirm. The things that normally divide, God uses to unite. It is through diversity in the body of Christ that we are best positioned to build one another up. 
we are called to inspire one another in serving the Lord. If you look at the account of Epaphras, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God, I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea in Hierapolis. If you heard that about one of your friends, that they were always interceding on your behalf to the Lord, would it encourage you? When you get the text from someone that says, hey, I'm thinking about you today, or they reach out and say, hey, how can I be praying for you? You are on my heart. That's an encouragement. Inspiration in the Lord is best experienced when we understand and see others giving of themselves. Personally, when I hear of others giving sacrificially, not by them, but by the person who receives something that showed up out of the blue, it met a particular need, and they respond in awe and praise and thanksgiving, I'm inspired to do the same. When I see others week in, week out, showing up, serving, investing for the kingdom, I'm inspired to do the same. When I witness folks opening up their home or extending unique generosity and hospitality, I'm encouraged to do the same. You can inspire others simply by living as Christ has called you to live. It's that simple. And as we live to inspire one another, we should allow our care and concern for Christ's church to be the motivation for our sacrifice. I believe when Paul says, always struggling, What he's pointing out that is serving others is hard. Investing in the kingdom is a challenge. It doesn't come naturally. There was a group who arrived this morning shortly after seven. It is only by God's grace that technology allows clocks to automatically update because some would not have made it here on time. But friends, that's a sacrifice. And they do it so the rest of us can worship and honor the Lord and hear from Him. That's an encouragement to me. It should be an encouragement to you. And that brings us to Paul's final instruction in this passage. We are to recognize that we've been commissioned to serve the Lord. Look at verse 18 or 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, 
have it also read in the church of, La- of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. A little sidebar. I've always wondered what that letter is. There's a letter from Laodicea. We don't have it. I want to know what it is. But that's beside the point. And then Paul finishes saying, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. He's saying, brothers and sisters, though my hand, my personal hand, may not have scripted all the contents here, the content that is delivered is from me. He's attesting that the doctrinal instructions and the practical directives are from him and reflective of the Lord's desire for them. The fact that he personally signed it is his way of commissioning the church in Colossae to act. As he described his desire that the Colossian church would share his greetings with the church in Laodicea, he's saying that partnership in the gospel is imperative. He doesn't ask them to do that to Laodiceans. What does he do? He simply says, do this. He's saying, hey, um, text the folks over in Laodicea and let them know I'm thinking about them. And once you all are done with the letter... Make sure you head over there and grab the letter from them and read it as well. How do you do that in the absence of technology? You go. Relationship, time together is required. He's reinforcing that the content in Colossians is not just for the church in Colossae, but is for all the followers of Jesus. It's because believers, Christ followers, have a common experience in the Lord, even though their circumstances and situations and culture and geographies are different. And the fact that he's commissioning this church to work with other churches reinforces the idea that there is a collective need for the mutual support amongst churches in neighboring communities. When Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples, yes, it was a global mission, but it was also a communal mission. We've been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to participate in the mission. Paul's encouraging the church to look immediately around them for how they can impact lives. That's our intent here within this body. How might we best look directly around us and impact lives? We have to ask ourselves, how might we partner with other churches in our neighborhood for the advancement of the kingdom? We have a personal responsibility and privilege 
as well as a corporate responsibility and privilege to participate in God's kingdom advancement plan. And this responsibility is highlighted in Paul's final words. And say to Archippus, now put yourself in Archippus' shoes right now. (laughs) This letter is being read. And all of a sudden, Tychicus, who's been sent to deliver this message, says, and say to Archippus, he's going, hey, uh, where is he? Where's Archippus? And you're sitting there and you're wondering what is going to come out of Paul's mouth. He knows what's already been said, like there has been chastisement, there's been directives, there's been all these things. And Paul says, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Friends, this could have been addressed to any believer. Aside from the description as fellow soldier, there is no other textual description that helps us understand the nature of his calling. Paul simply says, ministry. Parents, when you approach one of your children and give them an instruction that says, hey, make sure you. What normally over time has preceded that instruction? A pattern of lacking to do that. A pattern of negligence. A pattern where maybe I forget to do that from time to time. And what Paul is saying is, hey, this is so important. Don't forget it. See that you fulfill your calling. Don't step away from it. Don't ignore it. Don't set it on the side. See that you fulfill your calling. It's like saying, hey, can you please make sure you take out the garbage? Hey, can someone please feed the dog this morning? See that you fulfill your calling. This is not an abnormal admonition. Paul exhorted Timothy in the same way. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Same word, same phrase. The same is true for each of you. Paul is saying, and say to Nate, or say to David, or say to Greg, or say to Bethany, or say to Robbie, or say to Jennifer, 
see that you fulfill the ministry you've received from the Lord. Now, it helps to understand what that ministry is. In Timothy's case, the elders laid hands on him and commissioned him to serve. There are times that that happens. We recently experienced it as a church. As elders, we identified men in the congregation who are gifted, have a shepherd's heart, have a unique maturity in the Lord who've been serving as care group leaders. We recognized they were living life as deacons without the title, so we commissioned them. It wasn't a requirement to serve. They were already doing it. But there's no account in Scripture that Archippus had his hands laid on by anybody, that he was commissioned to do the work of ministry. It's an assumption that there is a work. Of ministry. It's because folks don't have to be commissioned by elders to serve. As a follower of Jesus, you've already been commissioned by Jesus to serve. Each person here is gifted. Each person, as a follower of Jesus, is called by God to use the gifts that he or she has been given. Each has a responsibility to help others identify areas where they could serve and then remind them that they've already been commissioned to serve. Don't wait for somebody to come tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, uh, we're going to bring you up front. We're going to kind of release you to go do something. No, not required. As a follower of Jesus, if you notice someone else is gifted in a particular area, help them find a way to use a gift. That's simple. See, as a follower of Jesus, you don't need an earthly authority to give you permission to serve in the church. The Lord has already commissioned you to make disciples. He's already commissioned you to invest in others. He's already commissioned you to participate in His redemptive plan. Simply serve. In effect, Paul is saying to Archippus, don't neglect the use of the gifts you've already been given. Work at it with all your might as Epaphras did. And so he's saying to you this morning as followers of Jesus... You've been recruited to recruit others to join together as ministers in the Lord. You've been called by God to inspire others in serving the Lord. And friends, recognize you've already been commissioned to serve the Lord. This is how we live with an eternal mindset. Investing in others can be wearisome, but it's beautiful. Investing in others is hard, but it's wonderfully good. Paul knows this, and that's why he's saying, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't set your gifting aside. Be an encouragement to one another. Friends, to do this, we must be in relationship with one another. 
We must be dependent upon one another. It requires us to be vulnerable and available. Serving in this way, always struggling on your behalf in His prayers, fulfilling the ministry that you've received is not necessarily glamorous. But I can promise you it's always others-focused, never self-focused. And that's what we see here. The church in Colossae is being instructed to reach beyond themselves and their families to invest in others collectively. And we are being instructed in the same way. See that you fulfill the ministry you have received from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. Lord, as we are called to remember Paul's chains, that he was willing to set his life aside, to set creature comforts aside for the sake of the gospel. We are grateful for that effort. Lord, I'm encouraged that even in the midst of trial and struggle, He says, remember my chains. When it's as He's chained, He's writing these words to the church. Lord, let us not lose heart. Let us not overlook what you've called us to. Let us not set aside the ministry that you have for us simply because it's uncomfortable. Help us to fulfill the ministry that you have given each of us, that you would be glorified, that Christ would be honored. And the world will be loved. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.